Okay, so we'll start our parenting seminar with the great philosopher Eminem, who said, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. So as parents, when you raise children, you, it feels oftentimes like you get one shot. You can't redo parenting. You can't be like, all right, you know, I just learned after those last 10 years. Can we run those 10 years back? And now I'm really going to do a good job parenting. You only get one shot to parent them. They grow and they move on. And so you kind of have to learn on the fly. All parents who are Christians, actually every parent who loves their child wants to parent well. And they want to know that they're doing it well. They want to they have a certain sense of confidence that, um, that they're doing a good job. Now, the problem with that is as parents, we have wrong ideas of parenting. The wrong ideas of parenting come from the world. It comes from our own imagination and ideas of what we think is best. It also comes from our past experiences. So we, um, we are shaped by our parents more than we know for good and for ill. The strengths of our parents, the weaknesses of our parents, they naturally and inevitably affect our parenting. And I'll get more to that in a second. Um, another problem with parenting is that our kids can't wait for us to study parenting and master it before we can continue. We can't just tell our kids, hey, let me pause for six months. Let me read a bunch of books on parenting. Let me talk to a lot of people. And then we'll unpause it, and then we can start parenting again. Your kids are growing. It doesn't matter. They're not waiting. They can't wait. No one can wait. You actually have to learn on the fly. And so the demand for parenting is right now. This could cause us to feel insecure, unsure, and like a failure. At the same time, because time is going on, you have to start doing things now. You start to build habits. So even as you're learning things, you're having to learn to unlearn things at the same time. And you're like, oh, I've been messing up for six months on that or for six years or whatever the case. And so you also need enough humility and self-awareness to be able to make adjustments on the fly. Not to mention the fact that children change from season to season and stage to stage in life. That as soon as you get comfortable in one stage or season of life, they're on to the next one. And you think you got the hang of it, and by the time you got the hang of it, God says, well, now it's time to switch it up on you, and now you're in a new phase. And so the frustrations, the learning, the prayer, the crying, the impatience, the temptations of sin, they, they just keep coming and coming and coming. So this causes us as parents to feel insecure, unsure of ourselves, and maybe even like we're, fail we're failing. Am I a failure as a parent? And more importantly, we, we understand that we're in a spiritual battle. We've been in Revelation 2 and 3 on Sunday mornings. So the question we could ask is, will the evil one, Satan, and will sin dominate our, our child's life as they grow older? Or will they be able to conquer and overcome the way Christians are called to overcome in the book of Revelation? Well, I could say for Francis and I, you guys know we have five kids, 12, 10, 8, 5, and 3. And... Um, we feel that uncertainty too. We feel that frustration. We have a longer list. I'm looking out here at the parents just to make sure this is true. I think it's true to say. We have a longer list of sins than all of you in this room, at least as I'm looking out. We have a longer list of failures in parenting than you do. Um, we're not boasting about that. We say that to our sadness and shame in some ways, but we're also just being honest about that. We, we do have a long list of failures. Um, but 
we did learn some things about parenting along the way. And not only did we learn it um, like on our own, because that's not how you learn things. We learn from the Bible. But really, it's by Christians who read the Bible and try to apply it in their lives, sharing it with us, and us learning from them, and then us trying to do it in our own lives, and to constantly get feedback as we parent. So um, there's, one, there's one dad that I'm not going to mention his name here, but um, at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, he would have this thing where he would look at his, he would, he would teach, he taught the parenting class. Didn't he teach it when we were there? And so he would tell his kids, like, you know, whenever he would, whenever he would draw the line and say, don't do this, he would say, that's no-no. And he would just say, that's no-no, and he'll, he'll, like, just look real serious, and not mad, not an angry face, but he'll just wave his finger like this, like, that's no-no. And as soon as his kids see that, they knew immediately that they need to not cross that line. That if you, if you see your dad do that or your mom do that, and then yet you still disobey, you're, you've crossed the line. You're going to get spanked. And so um, the respect he had among his children was such that it wasn't fear either. So it wasn't like his kids were driven by fear. But it would be like the kids are playing, and then he'd be over here. He's talking to people during, <coughs> excuse me, after the church gathering. And he can see his kids playing in the back or something, and they start doing something crazy. And he'll just look at them. Once they make eye, con eye contact, he'll just go. And then they would <laughs> they'd realize right there that they need to straighten up. And I would, we would look at them and be like, how do you do that? <laughs> what kind of superpower um, do you, you know, how do you cultivate that superpower that you just wag the finger without getting angry or upset or flying off the handle just, or raising your voice, just looking at them very seriously, eye contact, and just going like that, and they understand that they need to stop right now. Um, so we've been helped. We saw that, and we learned from these Jedi masters, these parenting Jedi masters. And so we've tried to do it in our lives. We're not Jedi masters ourselves, but we've, we've learned some things, and so we hope to, to pass those on to you. So here's what we would recommend to you. Okay, Here's the plan of covering. And the topic here is parenting for holiness. How do you parent your children for holiness? So here are the three steps that I would recommend to you, or three elements of parenting for holiness. Number one, and they're all one word, recognize. Number two, realize. And number three, reform. All right? Recognize, realize, and reform. Number one is recognize. So what, we, what I mean under recognize is recognize who the primary disciplers are. So turn to John 17. You're already there. John 17, verse 17. Parenting is, and I, I don't know, um, I think, oh, I have said this before. Parenting is the second most intense relationship of discipleship you'll ever have in your life. Can anyone guess the first? Marriage, Marriage yes. Marriage is the most intense, and that's not just husband to wife, it's wife to husband as well. Marriage is the most intense human relationship of discipleship that exists. The second most intense is parenting. And so um, we want to talk about parenting in the context of discipleship. All parenting is, in one sense, I say that very glibly, all parenting is, all it is is discipleship. That's really what it is. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. It's an intense form of it, but it's just discipleship. You're just forming your children. Your, your goal is to teach them to follow Jesus with their lives. Not just understanding the Bible, but with all their lives. 
with their decisions, with their thinking, with their education, with their mind, with their body, with their emotions, with everything that they are, with everything they desire and their ambitions, your goal is to help them follow Jesus. And so um, we need to recognize that. Now, if we're, if we're parenting for our holiness, we need to define holiness. So you're in John 17. Look at John 17, verses 17 to 19. If the aim is holiness in parenting, in discipleship by parenting, we need to know what we're aiming at. So let me give you um, three words here from John 17. In these three verses, let me give you three words in terms of the aim of holiness. Holiness is, first of all, in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So here we learn you're going to, you're going to, you need to recognize as the primary disciple maker of the home. If you're parenting them for holiness, you're parenting them so that they would be sanctified by the word. So set apart by the word. You need to teach your children the word so that they're set apart for God's purposes. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So not only should par- not our, we're not only parenting to set our kids apart, we're parenting to send them to, into the world. So not only being set apart, but being sent. Now, this is important for parenting for holiness. We are not saying you're taking your kids out of the world. So homeschooling is not more virtuous than public school. You can, you can disciple your kids well in public school. You can disciple your kids well in homeschool. But either way, you're training your children to be sent into the world, not to run from the world, not to hide from the world, to engage the world, to interact in the world. And I'm getting that from John 17, verse 18. Jesus sends his disciples into the world, but, he, but you could contrast that with verse... Um, 15, Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus doesn't pray that his disciples would be taken out of the world. Holiness is not avoiding the world. Holiness is avoiding worldliness. Do you know the difference? What is it? What's it? What does it mean to avoid worldliness, but not avoid the world? David Wells in the book, losing our virtue defines worldliness this way. Worldliness is the mindset that makes righteousness seem strange and sin seem normal. That's what worldliness is. It's the mindset, it's the way of thinking that righteousness seems strange and sin seems normal. Can you think of any worldly mentalities in our world today? Yeah, the LGBT movement. So it seems normal to affirm that. It seems strange that you would be against that. Like, you know, people want to scandalize that. Like, what? Why, why would you not be for love? So, so righteousness seems strange and sin seems normal. That's worldliness. You can't take your kids out of the world. You ought not to take your kids out of the world. You ought to guard them from worldliness. But you can't guard them from worldliness by hiding them from the world. That's not how you guard them. If you hide them from the world, you're, you're setting them up for a pendulum swing into the world full force. You can't do it that way. All right. So you want them to be set apart. You want them to be sent. And the third one is you want them to be secure. That's verse 19. Look at verse 19. It says, uh, I sanctify myself for them, for my disciples, so that they also also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, who's who's speaking here? He says, I sanctify myself for them. Who's praying here? Jesus. Jesus sets himself apart so that his disciples will be set apart by the truth. Now, how does Jesus set himself apart? Here, this is Thursday night. He's praying right before he's about to get arrested. 
Friday morning by 9 a.m., he's going to be hanging on a cross until 3 p.m., just about. What does it mean he sets himself apart? He set himself apart to die and rise from the dead. He set himself apart to save sinners from their sin. So Jesus is saying, I, set my, I sanctify and set myself apart for my disciples so that my disciples have a chance to be holy, so that they would be holy, so that they would be sanctified by the truth. Sanctified and holy is the same idea, made holy, set apart as holy. So our holiness is secured by whose holiness? By Christ's. When Christ died for sins and rose from the dead, he secured, he, he was faithfully holy, and he secures the holiness of everyone who would be his disciples. All right? So when we talk about parenting our kids for holiness, we're parenting them so that they would be set apart by the word. We're parenting them so that they would be sent into the world. And we're, we're, we're parenting them so that they would be secure in Christ's death and resurrection as the security for their holiness. So that they'd be Christians. They would rest in the gospel. All right? That's the goal. That's what we're going for. And how do we do it? Um, if, I'm, if, if part one is recognize who the disciples are, turn to Deuteronomy 6 in your Bible. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 11. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 11. We have some microphones here. Do we have a volunteer who wants to read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 11? Raise your hand and we'll pass the microphone to you. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 11. Volunteer. Victor, thanks, brother. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your Lord with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I am giving to you, to, giving you today, are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, wells that dug that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and when you eat and are satisfied. Sorry, go to verse 12. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Okay. So here you have the, um, the call of God is one, and therefore you need to love only God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so you're supposed to teach it to your children when? When and where? Just start shouting things out. When and where are you supposed to teach the word of God to your children about loving God? When you're sitting down, when you're what? When you're walking, what else? When you lie down, when you get up. So when is it time to, when is the right opportunity to teach your children about loving God? When is it a relevant moment? Every moment. If you're to love God with all, your, with all you are, you're to love God all the time. Every moment is an opportunity to learn how to love God more. And so you're, you're supposed to be teaching your children the word of God to love God all the time, regularly, daily, moment by moment, throughout the day. And uh, so, so whose job is it to disciple their children primarily? It's the parents. It's the, now, I, I had you read verses 10 and 11 for a reason, um, at 10 through 12, because it's talking about not forgetting God in the land that God placed them. So here's my full answer. Whose job is it to disciple a child? 
It's the parent's job in the context of the covenant community. One more, one more phrase. For the good of the nations. Okay? Whose job is it to parent? It's the parent's job in the context of the covenant community for the sake of the nations. Why does the covenant community exist? To spread the gospel, at least now the new covenant community. In the old covenant community, before Jesus came, it was for Israel to be so holy that nations would come to Israel to ask, who's your God and what is he teaching you guys? Either way, it was for the sake of the nations to know who God was. So what is holiness for? Holiness is for mission. Holiness is to spread the gospel. Holiness is to spread the knowledge of God. But, but holiness in, for parenting, if you're parenting for holiness, you're parenting your children in the context of a covenant community. And for a new covenant community, that's the church, right? You parent your children in the context of the local church for the sake of the nations. That's where, that's so, the parents are the primary, primary disciplers, but in their, they're in the context of the primary discipling community, which is the local church. All right, so that's number one, recognize who the primary disciplers are. Let me do realize, and then I'll, we'll, we'll pause for questions. Point number two, realize. Realize who is discipling your child. So who right now is discipling your child besides the parent? Anyone else discipling children these days? Who? YouTube? Yes, YouTube. What's that? Teachers in Sunday school? Family members? Teachers in school? Their friends at school? Neighbors? TV, the internet, celebrities, themselves, music that they listen to, entertainment, media. Now, here's the answer really is everyone and everything. Okay, so here's the bigger point I want you to understand about parenting in the context of discipleship. We are made in whose image? God's image. You believe that, right? Every human's made in God's image. I don't know if you've thought about this, but part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we display God to other people, or we display a version of God to people. And that version of God we display presses ourselves onto them. We, we press an image of God onto other people's lives, and they press themselves onto us. You can't stop it. You can't intentionally choose to do it or not do it. You just do it by being a human. Just hang out with another human, and you start to act like them, right? You start to react to them. Why? Because you're both made in God's image, and as you hang out, the image that you display presses on the people around you. You can't stop it. You can't turn it on and off. It just happens, okay? So in that sense, that's the nature of being an image bearer. We inevitably and naturally impact or press on one another, and then we re react to that pressure by receiving that pressure or by receiving that impression by reforming that impression or by rejecting that impression. But you will react to impressions. So just interact with people, hang out with people for every, any given Sunday, and what you're doing is you're going to get impressed, you're going to get pressed upon by everyone around you. And you'll either receive it, reform it, or reject it. But you will react to it, and you will be different after interacting with them, no matter what. Every single interaction. Right now, I'm saying a lot of words from up here. What am I doing? As I'm communicating, I'm imaging God. For better or for worse, in, tr in truth or in error. And as I'm imaging God right now in speaking to you, you are being pressed by my words. You're reacting to it right now. You're thinking about what I'm saying. And you're either going to receive it, you're going to reject it, or you're going to reshape it a little bit for whatever you do. But you cannot not react to what I'm saying. By being here right now and being within earshot of the words, I am pressing myself on you. And you will either 
do, that might either help you or not help you, but you can't help but be pressed upon. And when you talk to me or you make a facial expression back to me, you're pressing upon me. And that's just kind of how it is for human interaction, okay? So um, here's what parents need to know. Parents, did you know that you've already been discipling your kids when they lie down and when they get up and when they walk along the way? You don't have to decide to do it. You do it. You might not be doing it good. You might, not be, you might be ignoring God. You're teaching them when they eat to ignore God and when they wake up to ignore God and when they go to sleep to ignore God and when they take a shower to ignore God and when they make a mistake to ignore God. But you're, make no mistake about this. You are pressing upon them a version of God. So discipleship is happening all the time. We think of discipleship as, as good discipleship, right? We define it as good discipleship of, oh, let me intentionally press God's word upon you to help you grow. That's good discipleship, but that's not all the discipleship that happens. Discipleship is always happening. So even if you're not a parent, that's your takeaway, okay? Just know that you're always being discipled by people around you, and you're always discipling. Christian and non-Christian, all the time. There's not one moment you're not discipling when you're interacting with other humans. So you might as well disciple well, right? And parents, you need to be put on notice about this because this means that every moment of your day you're discipling your kids. Regardless of whether you think you are or not, you are. Okay, so, so that's what the realization is. So number one was recognize you're the primary discipler. The second point was realize that they're being discipled by every human they interact with, even humans through, the, through media, and that you're always discipling them whether you realize it or not. All right? That's recognize and realize. Before I go to the last point on reform, your parenting, which is the practical stuff, any questions? Let's pause here for questions, comments, thoughts, objections, anything from you guys. That might help. Microphone. We have a few microphones, okay? Just want to know you're still alive out there. Question, comment, thought. Other BBC families will be listening to this recording, so you can say hi to them as well. Did you say something? But no question, comment. John, no, nothing? Good? Angel, anything? Victor? Ivan? Here comes the... Microphone. Ross is going to come eventually. He has now realized he needs to bring the microphone. There it is. All right. Question, Ivan. So you're always radiating God's image to, to, your, um, to your kids, even when you're putting them to sleep and when they get up. But does that apply even to if infants as well? So are infants being impressed by parents is what your question is, right? Uh, yeah, since you know, they have a certain capacity to intake yeah. what they see. Would you say yeah. that that applies to them as well? Absolutely. Maybe even more so. They say that kids learn most of what they're going to learn in the first two years of their lives. And that's a lot of your discipleship. So the way you react when they do bad things as an as a infant, the way you respond when they're, when they're disobeying you, how you discipline, how you, how you speak, they're learning all the time because they're image bearers. So, yes, they are absolutely impacted by you. So if, if you know, kids who get are in the foster care system or kids who are abandoned by their parents, who aren't, kids who haven't been hugged for the first year of their lives, it affects them drastically. So yes, yes, absolutely. You're, you're, you're impacting and pressing on your kids. Other questions, comments, thoughts? Francis. So um, we had an episode on homeschooling and as we were- We being the kinship podcast. Right, the kinship ladies. And so- a lot of things that were coming up was um, 
well, they have in order to send them into the world, they have to be Christians first. So the assumption is you basically pour into them and then send them out as opposed to like maybe like the public school system. Like you don't send them out yet. Like first you dot, dot, dot. I don't know if you ladies can chime in on that. If what I'm asking is, do you remember? Yeah, I forgot what my question was. But anyways, what am I asking? <laughs> You're talking out loud. Do you know what I'm asking, Bethany? Pam will edit this out. Don't worry. Yeah. So um, are you referring to the kinship schooling? Because I remember you, you guys, ladies, mentioning something about the versus sending the children to public school or keeping them homeschooled so you can disciple them and pour everything into them right. and then sending them out being having the knowledge that was you know given to them as opposed to like just sending them out there right away yeah yeah I guess so yeah. that was also so the, qu the question is is it is it is it wrong to send them out too soon yeah yeah depends on what yeah i guess it means what, what we mean by send them out so um, it's not wrong to send children to public school. I think, in, especially in the early years, the parents have to be all the more vigilant in terms of what they're taking in because their discernment radar is completely undeveloped. Or not completely, but it's largely undeveloped. So, no, it's not wrong in that regard. I, I do want to kind of caution people on, on order of this first, then that. Your children are growing in this world already. You can't keep them from the world. You can try, but you can't. Because they're humans, they're gonna interact with other humans. And your, your, the world you create, your home is not big, it's not a big enough world for them. It can never be a big enough world for them. They will outgrow it because they have to as they just develop as humans. So they are, they are just more, they're, they're just growing into being part of this world and living in this world no matter what. So, so um, in that sense, you can't, there's an, there's an inevitable development of children into going out into the world, Christian or non-Christian. As Christians, we should recognize that normal development and try to disciple them along the way. Um, this is not directly answering your question, but one other point to it is, even if your children don't become Christian, you can still, now that's obviously the infinitely most important thing, but you can still disciple, you're still discipling them either way, even if they're not Christian, and they can still, still do a lot of, quote unquote, good for society in the world versus not good for society in the world by the way you disciple them. Again, it's not ultimately up to you. They, they're going to respond to your discipleship. But my point is, no matter what, you're sending your children into the world, either for Christ or not for Christ, but you're sending your children into the world. So that, that's, not a, that's not an option. That's just, that's just reality. So you just recognize that and do your best. But um, I think, yeah, you can't, well, you can't say, well, I, I got to make them Christian first and disciple them, then send them into the world. They're going. Every year our kids get older. They're just becoming, they're, 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 their, their, their foot is less in the house and more in the world. And that's just kind of, that's just life. Any other questions or comments? All right, let's go to reform. Reform your parenting by Christ in Scripture through the Spirit. How do you reform it? Now, I have a bunch of parenting principles here that I'm not going to share. Not because I don't want to share them. It's just because before the sake of time, I want to get more practical stuff that we've done. But um, I would encourage you to look up the book. We don't have it in the bookstall by Paul Tripp. It's called Parenting. Very creative title. Parenting, 
Four, and that subtitle is 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. If you, if you, even if you don't buy the book, I think it's a good book. I have it on Kindle. I haven't read it. But if you read the table of contents and the 14 principles, I think that does a lot for you. And you can just do that for free on Amazon.com. I actually have them right here, and I could read them to you. But just for the sake of time, I won't. I could send them to you if you want. Um, but they're really good principles that will help your parenting. But I've read the principles. And I could fill it in. I could fill it in. All right. <laughs> um, now let me get to some practical things for those of you who are taking notes. We're going we're gonna, to um, have two categories here, formative discipline and corrective discipline, okay? If you're going to reform your parenting, you need to have formative disciplines in your home and corrective disciplines in your home. Formative disciplines are disciplines that are shaping and guiding them, but it's not where you're correcting them and punishing them. And by punishing, I mean like spanking or something like that, okay? So it's not corrective, it's formal. So it's, you know, here's how you brush your teeth. That's formative discipline. Here's what, here's what we do when we're in a church gathering. You sit down here quietly, you grab the song sheet, you sing with us. You pray with us. It's prayer time, we're going to kneel, we're going to pray together as a church family. If you tell your kids that, you're, you're doing formative discipline, okay? Anything you teach them on how to live life for God's glory is formative discipline. Make sense? Now, under formative discipline, before we get to corrective discipline, under formative discipline, there are two kinds of formative discipline. There, are, there is formal and informal formative discipline, okay? Formal are, are scheduled, structured habits. Informal is everything else, all that organic, organic, messy stuff of life, when they lie down, when they rise up, different things that are going on, whatever trial is in that day, that's informal. You need to do both formative and, or formal and informal formative discipline. So let me give you three formal discipline things our, our family does. We have a bedtime routine. So when our kids go to sleep, um, we got part of this from, I, got, I guess we got this from the Piper family, John and Noel Piper. Uh, John Piper, he says a blessing over his children every night before they go to sleep. So I usually do that. Um, before that, Noel Piper has this book called Traditions Our Families Cherish or something like that. You could look it up by Noel Piper or something about traditions and family. Anyways, in it, I've never read it. I have a lot of books that I haven't read. but No, Francis read it though. But in that, Noel Piper has this thing where every child has their own special hymn. So before the kids go to sleep, we, I wasn't consistent on this until Reed. So this shows you how much I failed in this. So Rock is 12 years old. I only started singing consistently to Rock this year because Reed demanded that we would sing her song to her every night before she'd sleep. And so my kids would hear me singing to Reed. And it was weird that I was only singing to her and not everyone else. It's like, you know what? We need, to, we need to step up our game with everyone else. So only this year, 12 years in, almost 13 years in, have we finally got to a consistent pattern where I would sing the child's hymn with them, uh, and then we would pray or we'd, uh, we'd, um, before they go to sleep, and then I would bless them, all right? Um, the second thing we do formally is catechism. So if you don't have the Bethany Baptist Church catechism and you would like a copy, I have three copies here. It's just 67-plus questions on the basics of Christian doctrine. Basically, we, we ask this back and forth with our kids, and we're trying to teach them to memorize it so that they have a basic framework about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and basic Christian doctrine. 
it's kind of the um, wax on, wax off, karate kid type thing where you're, t you're teaching them a bunch of stuff that they don't realize why it's important. But as they get older, they start to realize, man, I know a lot of theology. It is available online. Well, no. I mean, I could email it to you if that counts as online. That doesn't count as online, right? I will email it to you if you email me. Okay? And I'm, I'm still editing some of it. So as our kids work through it, I edit it. And so you, you can see kind of how far our kids are based on the edits. So uh, that's our, our church catechism. And then the, 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 the third thing we do formally is we have family chapel. Family chapel is where we, we get together at night, maybe two to three times a week. We'll read scripture, we'll pray, and we'll sing a song. All right? The key in family chapel, some of you heard it called family worship. That's fine, too. We call it family chapel. The, what we're going for is brevity, regularity, and flexibility. Flexibility because our kids are from ages 12 to 3. So now when we read chunks of scripture, sometimes we'll read Genesis, we'll read two chapters in Genesis, and read, and city will be bored out of their minds. Um, sometimes we'll read the little kid stories that Rock has read a hundred times, you know, and he's just sitting there. But because there's a range of kids, you don't, you know, there's no ideal at this point. You just got to figure out and be flexible. Um, so brevity, regularity, you don't want to just do it once in a while, but you want to do it somewhat regularly or regularly. And you want it to be brief. Don't think of it as our two-hour-long morning, Sunday morning gathering. <laughs> you know, it is not a two-hour um, family chapel. It's a ten-minute family chapel. Or, or even five minutes sometimes, okay? That's formal. On the informal side, here's a few things we do. On the informal side, we, we practice functional humility. What I mean by functional humility is we ask for feedback and rebuke and forgiveness from our children and from our spouses, and we confess into each other regularly. We try to do that regularly. The more correctable you are and the more teachable you are and the more your kids see that, the more they will grow in that as well. Okay, so that's functional humility, asking and receiving rebuke and, and forgiveness and confessing sin. Uh, a second informal thing we do is our dinner table discussions. In our dinner table discussions, and many of you have been part of our dinner table discussions in the past, and you're welcome to come to our house for dinners. Um, when, you, when you come over for dinner, we're gonna we usually ask for trials and treasures. What's some trials you had today, and what are some treasures that help you treasure your true treasure, the Lord Jesus? So trials and treasures, it's an informal thing, but every day we, we generally, almost every day, we're asking your trials and treasures, so we want to be sharing those um, regularly. A third thing we do is we make our kids read their Bible. We don't ask them to read the Bible. We're not waiting for them to feel this uh, holy um, love for the Bible. We just tell them, read your Bible. <laughs> you know, before our kids are into reading books, before you read your book, read your Bible. Um, and so we, we try to help them to do that, and then sometimes we'll ask them, what did you read today? So make that a part of your discussion. A fourth thing we do is we talk about sex from birth. So we give them the categories of sex. We, give them, we tell them the word sex early on. Now, this is new as well as, in, as of the last, I don't know, five months or so. We're, we're constantly learning and growing, and then we just pass on to you guys what we learn. So um, it's a constant conversation. We have some books on it that we read as our children develop. We're also trying to guard our children from lust and um, sexual morality. The average age that children see pornography for the first time, anyone know? Eight years old. Eight years old is the first time children um, are confronted with pornography. It usually happens at school. All it takes is one kid to say, hey, look at this, on their phone. And the kid looks, and it's there. And it's etched in here, and it will never leave their mind. It will impress them forever, and that's it. 
I don't want you to, I don't tell you that to freak you out. I tell you that to prepare your children for it. Okay, prepare your children for it. So one of the ways we do it in our home is we give our children the topic of immodesty. We, tell, we teach them that naked is private. We, all these things we've never made up ourselves. We just learn from other people and we steal all these ideas. So naked is private. And so we tell our children, respect other people's privacy even when they don't want to be respected. So if they dress immodestly and they're showing off their privacy, we say even if they don't want to be respected, you still have to respect them. If you see immodesty, you turn away out of respect for God and respect for them. Okay? So, um, so then if someone did show our child a pornographic picture, um, not that they would never forget it, but they would be right aware, like aware right away. Naked is private. That person has willingly or unwillingly taken a picture, and so now I got to respect them by not looking. Okay, so teach them that category because you're not going to be walking with them every moment of their day, everywhere they go. You just need to teach them and, and prepare them to have these conversations with you. Uh, fifth thing we do here is we discern. We teach them discernment. What what to see on the news? We talk about news and we interact with them. You'll notice if you're here on our Sunday morning gatherings, I'm starting to pray through some news type things on Sunday morning in our Sunday gathering. I'm doing that so that I can disciple our church to think about what's going on in the world and make sure you're praying about those things because we have a God who's sovereign over these things. But we should not be ignorant or unaware of what's going on in our world to some degree. Teach your children how to, how to process news and events from a Christian worldview. Just kidding. Okay. Um, number six, teaching them how to handle finances. Teach your children how to, how to handle money. So um, that's one thing we do. Whenever they get money, they have three piggy banks, a save, give, and spend piggy bank. And as soon as they get their money, they divide it between all three. And it's just we're trying to make that part of their life so that when, when they start getting paychecks, as soon as they get a paycheck, it just gets divided into their budget lines, and they just move on with life. All right, so we try to teach them how to handle finances. Number seven uh, we teach them to be affectionate with touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service. We just want to be affectionate to our children and teach them to be affectionate to us and to each other. Uh, number eight, informally, we are, and this is probably a big one, maybe if you forget other things, as a parent, aim to teach your children to learn faith and repentance. Regular faith and repentance. Not as a hiccup, but as... Um, that's your, or let me say, let me put it this way. Your goal for your parent, for your, your children is that they would continually repent and believe in Jesus, not that they would fix their behavior. Behavior will come from faith and repentance. So don't aim at them being quiet when you tell them to be quiet. Don't aim at them doing your commands whenever they do, whenever you give them the command. Aim that they would trust your commands as good and that they would repent before God and ask you for forgiveness when they sin against you. Aim for soft hearts that trust God's goodness and your goodness and repent when they reject that goodness. If you do that, and if they do that, if they get that, they'll be set up for spiritual success for the rest of their lives. If they can't repent, then, you know, if they, if they hide sin and they just learn to run from sin and make excuses, that's, that's going to jam up all of the growth that could happen in their Christian lives. All right? A few words here on church life in terms of formative discipline. Because I did say it's in the context of covenant community. Here's what we do as parents with our children. Uh, we're committed. Parents should be committed members and involved in the life of the church, sharing life with the church family. So I would say, and I'm preaching specifically to the choir tonight, be here Sunday mornings and be here Sunday night. You think it's not doing a big deal? Just being here and having your kids here, it shapes them. 
trust me, it, it shapes them in ways you don't, you're not even intentionally teaching them anything. Just by being here regularly and having them here, it shapes their discipleship. So be committed to a church family and share life. Um, so have them sit in the gatherings with us, okay? Teach them to sit down quietly. When they don't sit down quietly, don't be so upset about what other people are thinking. Who cares what they're thinking, at least initially? Just disciple your kids. Our church needs to learn, as you guys know, our church needs to learn to be okay with crying and be okay with noise. Ross, I, I, I guess I use Ross's story now just because it's so, um, such a funny way of, of him saying it. When he first came to our gatherings on Sunday night, he was like, how can people concentrate? There's kids like, our kids are literally running in the back the whole time during the service. And Ross is like, how does anyone concentrate? And now he's like, I don't even hear them anymore. And they're still back there making noise. Like nothing has changed except he's been trained to block them out. People will learn how to do that. So as a parent, don't worry about that. Just disciple your kids. And, and, and as you're doing that for the members who have problems, you're discipling them too, just by them having a problem with it. So that's okay. Let them, let them, be, um, you know, let, let them be upset. Let them learn how to deal with the fact that there's kids in our church. Everyone needs to grow. We all need to grow. Okay? So have them sit in gatherings. Number three, one of the things we do with our kids is um, our kids got into emailing, and they love emailing their friends. And so we say, every, every friend you email, you have to email one of the church adults and ask them how they're doing and how you could pray for them. And maybe share a prayer request with one of the adults in our church. So we just have our kids try to connect with our church family, even with the adults. Uh, fourthly, we play games with our, we, we have the kids play games with us and with our church family as we get older. So when we're hanging out, we just invite them into whatever we're doing um, Number five, we have our kids hang out with us. We have a lot of people hang out at our house, have an open home as much as possible, and go over to other people's homes with your kids as much as possible. Teach them that church life is not primarily the building. It's the people. And it's, it's building meaningful relationships with people, not just in this building, but especially outside of this building. Okay? So, so teach them that. Or, because you're, you're shaping to them what it means to be part of a church by the way you interact with your church. Um, and singles, you could see how you could fit into like being part of helping your helping the kids learn about church just by your interaction with them. So have people over for dinner, and then uh, go to a city group meeting. We go to city group meetings, and we make sure our kids our kids love city group meetings. They they're like, is there a city group meeting tonight? And when they're like, oh yeah, it's every other week now. They're like, ah, oh, nobody's coming tonight, and they're all bummed out about it. So um, our kids learn to love it. Like they love hanging out, and they're bored of their parents. <laughs> We're bored of you guys. We want the other people over here. And that, you know, we could be offended as parents, or we could just be thankful that they love the church family and that they love seeing other people from the church because we're going to need that in the teen years. We're going to need you guys in the teen years. All right, that's the formative discipline. A few things on corrective discipline, spanking and such. Corrective discipline, rebuke your children uh, of sin and use the Bible. When you spank them, spank them the way God spanks us. You're like, what? How does God spank us? God spanks us with love, with patience, with self-control, with wisdom for our good, for his glory, um, with grace saturating the whole process. God is not vindictive. God is not lashing out. God is not um, impatient. God is not seeking personal vengeance um, when he disciplines his children. So what does that mean for us? We, we want our spanking to be informed by this. So remember, the goal is not behavior. The goal is what? What's that? Repentance. Faith and repentance. If that's the goal, 
to change your child, not behavior, but repentance, what leads us to repentance? What of God leads us to repentance? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if you're going to be a parent and teach your children repentance, it's the kindness of the parent that leads their children to repentance. It's their kindness. That doesn't mean they're soft on sin. It just means that the way they confront sin is with kindness and grace. It's not about winning an argument. It's about rooting out sin in your children's lives. And the only way to change someone is by grace, not by works, not by force, not by intimidation. That only works when they're children, but when they get older and you, they, they're not intimidated anymore, you lose all control or you lose all influence. You, you already lose control, but you'll lose influence as well as they get older. So you teach by your kindness and by grace. So in our home, what that means very practically is um, when we're on our game, which we're not always on our game, but when we're on our game and we're disciplining, we'll rebuke them for sin, we'll take them, we'll take them to a private room, we will name their sin, we'll make sure they understand their sin biblically, and then we'll say, what do you need to do next? And they will say, we need to ask for forgiveness. I say, from who? From God and from you. Okay, God's more important than me, so let's ask God for forgiveness first. So I have them pray. Oh, no, I'll say, do you think God will forgive you? And they say, yes. Why? Because Christ died for your sins. That's right. God will always forgive you. That's the kindness of God. God wants to forgive you. All you need to do is ask. The kindness of God leads them to repentance. There's a kind God who wants to forgive them. So then they pray, and then, and then they ask mommy or daddy for forgiveness. So who else do you need to ask for forgiveness? You need to ask mommy. Do you think mommy will forgive you? Yes. Why do you think mommy will forgive you? Because I'm her daughter. Because I'm her son. That's right. Mommy and daddy will always forgive you because you're my son no matter what, and I will always love you. doesn't matter what you do. You could never not be my son. Just ask me for forgiveness. I will always forgive you. It's the kindness of the parent that leads the children to repentance. If you, just, if you have a, a, a mean face and you're just doing it off of the sternness, you're teaching your kids to run from you when they sin, to hide from you when they sin. That's the, that's where, Satan will use that to exploit them. What you want to teach them is, there's only one person I know who will love me even when I sin. That's my mom and dad. There's only one person I know that I could confess a sin to, and they will accept me completely no matter what. It's my parents. That's what I, I, I keep saying this to them over and over so that when they hit those teen years and those early 20s, and they hear those lies from Satan, my dad's going to reject me now. I want them to hear the, the thousands of times that mom and dad said, I will always love you. I will always forgive you. All you need to do is ask because you're my child. All right? That's what God does with us. That's the new covenant, right? Why we do communion? Because God is always saying, I'll forgive you. Just come to me. You don't need to hide. You don't need to pretend. Okay, so um, one more thing on corrective discipline for parents. Understand the development of your children and don't reason with them too early. Don't treat your three-year-olds like they're nine-year-olds. They're three. You don't need to explain things to them. Just tell them no. And if they, if they, if they, if they don't listen, then spank them. And as they get older, the more you should explain things to them. If you, if you reason with them too young, you will teach them to rebel. Or you'll teach them that they don't really need to listen to you, that they just want to talk about everything. You're like, I don't want to talk about this right now. You just need to get spanked and we need to move on. <laughs> right? At the same time, if you treat your, uh, your older kids like they're little kids and you don't reason with them at all, you're just like, we're not talking about this. I'm spanking you. I'm the parent. You'll lose them as well. As your kids grow older, so should your explanations grow. But don't explain too much when they're young. Like you just, they need to learn no and yes. They need to learn where the line is and be clear. And that's it. And then as they get older, um, you'll figure it out with your church family conversation. Um, okay, Cor uh, that's on corrective discipline. 
One other note here, or two other things. Keep a strong marriage. I have a few notes here on how, how to keep a strong marriage, but that's a whole other thing. So keep a strong marriage because that's actually the most important way to parent your children. The best thing you could do for your children is love your spouse. If you're a parent, the best thing you could do for your children is love the Lord, actually, and then love your spouse secondarily. So here's my last call to action before, I, before we take any more questions. Um, the military uses this thing called an AAR. It's called an after-action review. An after-action review is where they review the event that just happened, and they try to make improvements every time. That's the only way to grow. So whether formal or informal, here are the key points of an AAR in the military. They're conducted during or immediately after each event. They focus on the intended training objectives. They focus on soldier, leader, and unit performance. They involve all participants in the discussion. They use open-ended questions. They are related to specific standards. They determine the strengths and weaknesses, and they link performance to subsequent training. Here's what I'm calling you parents to do if you're going to reform your parenting. You need regular reviews. You need to sit down with your spouse. You need to sit down with your children sometimes. You need to sit down with other church family, and you need to review your parenting. What's going well? Praise the Lord. Where can I grow? Where can you grow? Ask your kids. I asked um, Key before I did the parenting seminar, um, tell me what you love about our parenting and what you don't like about our parenting. And she told me only things she liked, which I know. Hold on. We'll get there. Okay. I, I know. I remember that because you told me. But she said, dates with us. You teach us about, you guys teach us about sex. You discipline us. And she said, I can't think of anything I don't like. But later on, she told Francis something she didn't like, which is? Yeah, so we, sometimes um, when I'm not faithful to spank after I tell them I'm going to spank you later today when we get home, then there's a constant fear, and then I forget, or I'd say I'll do it later, and they're just not comfortable for the whole day. And sometimes I'll forget completely, and then they'll just sleep on it, and then they're just like, am I still in trouble? So anyways, the point here is after you get a review, you make adjustments. You ask for forgiveness, or you say sorry. If it's a sin, you ask for forgiveness. If it's not a sin, you just apologize, and then you move on. But the only way you're going to grow as a parent is by constantly going to God's word, going to God, spending time with God's people, spending time with your children, and getting reviews. So my call to you, parents, is to review your parenting regularly. And my call to you, singles, is to, to ask questions about parenting and ask questions about discipling the kids and ask how you can pray for our kids as we're discipling them because we need you to build relationships with them as well because that will help them grow because they're part of this church family and you're part of this church family. So, so we need you to interact with them all right, any other, or let's, let's go with questions, comments, and thoughts from you guys. Okay, let's go to Yessi. Chris, you have something? Maybe. Okay, Yessi first. Who's after Yessi? <laughs> Question, comments, thoughts? <laughs> Just one? Okay, go ahead. Yessi. Um, I think right now I'm really big, like, on TV time. Um, I've I spoken to Francis about this, but it's something that's really pressing on me on how much I should or shouldn't. And um, I did ask her for her opinion, and basically she told me, um, stay away from it as much as you can. And I tend to 
try to really stay away from like TV and it really does attract my son a lot. <laughs> um, and so like... You're talking I, about when you watch TV or just for him? No, 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 just for him because I intentionally do it mostly on times when I need to wash the dishes or I need to do something around the house. And like he's really not okay with me leaving him unless I put like TV on him. So I, I, I go to that. Okay. So... So what do I, we think? Every time I turn on the TV, like, I feel this huge weight on my shoulders, like, this huge conviction, like, <laughs> you're being a bad mother right now. Okay. But in my head, I'm like, but I need to do the dishes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, I mean. So the question, do you have a question with her? Or do you want me to just comment on that? Should I, should I really address my conviction on that? Like, sh is that something I really sh should take seriously? Or I'm just being in. Over. Okay, so, so two things. One, don't feel false guilt. If you're not sinning, don't feel guilty as if you are sinning. So okay. if the Bible, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not turn on the TV. Okay. But is it wise or unwise? That's also something worth thinking about. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to feel a guilty conscience, but you could feel like it's wise or foolish. So if I could point out to, to two things, maybe one would be um, it's okay for kids to cry. Okay. Like as a parent, you need to learn to be okay with crying. That's non-painful crying. Your kids are not in pain, and they're whining, crying. You need to, one, teach them to not do that as they get older. But two, you need to be able to tolerate that. Okay. So maybe you need to flex your muscles of hearing crying without freaking out. Right. That's number one, because TV's like, I just need them to be quiet. Well, you can wash dishes with a baby crying, I think. I mean, I don't know how loud Aaron cries. But number two, it's good for your children to be bored. Okay. Children need to learn to be bored. If they're always needing to be entertained, you're building... I mean, you're going you're gonna to build an appetite for entertainment that's going to become a monster in their lives later on. It's good for children to be bored. So, so sit down time and then just other times where it's like, you know, I want to do something. No, just read a book or just sit down. Just be bored. It's good. It's healthy for them. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Other questions, comments, thoughts? John, over here and then Chris. Or Chris and then John. Aaron will take that to John. If we ever have kids, Bethany and I, would I be able to spank? Ooh, that was good. <laughs> would I would I ever be able to spank my kids with a belt, or what? How can I? Because my we'll parents my parents use anything and everything. All kinds of materials. Oh yeah, just whatever. They were very they, resourceful. Oh, they were good. Your parents were masters of the resources they, around them. Yeah. <laughs> so what 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 would you? Just I know you guys spank with I think your hand right. We use a hand and then I use a belt. Oh, you use a belt. Yeah, we use a belt. We use the hand when they're small um, because I want to feel the pain to make sure I could really know what pain I'm inflicting. But as I get older, the hand is not good enough. It's not strong enough. You got to use a belt. Well, we use a belt. Um, there are other families that do other things. We've known others who've used like a wooden spoon, things like that. So as far as like the legality of, uh, I mean, my understanding of like spanking is, is like a very specific way that that's like, I don't know if it's just state or federal. Like, that California has been trying to make spanking illegal for years. Yeah, they've been trying. It oh, it fails, but I mean, they keep they keep they keep running at making a run for it. But isn't there like a? I mean, I could be wrong, but from what I heard, that spanking needs to be done like in a specific way, and I, I don't think a belt is necessarily legal. It's in it's with it's not within code. So if it's not legal, I don't know I what mean, the legality is. So is that one of those? I think we should look it up. Someone could look it up on on their phone right now, maybe. 
Okay, uh, well, so my question is kind of geared towards that. So as far as um, spanking, I think where Lynn and I are, we are, uh, we made the conscious decision not to um, because, um, I mean, I think legally, now that they are like officially adopted, we are able to, whereas before when they were in the foster system, they weren't a we weren't uh, able to, but just from trauma, just kind of coming, like our, our children coming from trauma, um, we made the conscious decision not to um, spank them. As far as like, is that like a sin to not? Or is that a wisdom issue? Man, that's a really good question. I want to say, let me let me I don't let me answer that question at the end because I'm not sure. Let me okay. I, let me let me think through a few things. Okay. And then see see where I end up when I get there. So, um, when we spank, we're trying to teach our kids the principle that sin hurts. Mm -hmm. Because when when you sin, it always causes pain. But when you're a kid, you can't make the connections. When you're an adult, you can make the connections more. So if I give into a sin of pride and arrogance towards Francis or give into a lustful temptation and I confess it to Francis, I will feel pain. And it, I, I mean, to be honest, as a, as a grown man, I'd much rather get a, sp a, a spank from a belt on the, on the bottom than to feel the pain of, you know, of the marriage. It hurts more in a sense. So in other words, sin hurts. I can understand that pain to some degree because I'm an adult and I, I have the mental capacity. Children can't understand that. So they need to, they need to coordinate sin with pain which is why we spank and we teach them to say sin hurts. Like they're like, oh, it hurts, spanking hurts. I say, don't say spanking hurts. It's true, it does hurt, but don't say spanking hurts, say sin hurts. So when they're crying, we want them to say sin hurts. So we're trying to teach them that. Now to your point, with your, with your daughters, God will still make them feel pain when they, when they sin, regardless of the, I mean, there's, like they've been sinned against in trauma and oppression, but now, um, even when they sin now, they will, they will feel pain, and they will cause pain when they sin. So they need to learn the lesson that sin hurts. Mm -hmm. I don't know if timeouts or other non-spanking methods can communicate that to young kids. I mean, the older they get, the more they have the ability to make that connection. The younger they are, it's harder to make that connection. So, so in that regard, I think, I think, one, because God will make them feel pain when they sin. You can't, you, can't, you can't stop that. That's going to happen. You need to prepare them to process that. And the way you do that is by spanking. Are you sinning when you spank? I don't know if I'd go that far. I, I want to say... If you don't. If you don't. Sin. I want to say yes, but I, I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm not going to say it just because I'm not 100% sure. I would say it's wise. I think you could redeem spanking in your parenting. I think you got to be very careful. With, again, just without talking about not knowing all the specifics, but about the trauma, but spanking them in a completely self-controlled way. So asking for forgiveness before you spank. Oh, that, I, I forgot to say that. When we're on our game, we, we, we tell them to ask for forgiveness, and then we spank them after we forgive them. It's different when you spank your kids after you forgive them versus before you forgive them. If you spank them before forgiving them, the, 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 the temptation to do it out of anger is a lot stronger. Once you've already forgiven them, you're like, I love you, I forgive you. I'm spanking you, not as a penalty. It's not a payment. You're not paying for your sin. Jesus paid for sins. But I'm spanking you so that you learn that sin hurts. And then, so, we'd spank, and then we would hug them until they're done crying. 
So in that, we're redeeming, well, not for us, but with your children, you could redeem pain and teach them that pain from a parent can be good if it's teaching them a lesson. Because you're going to be rebuking them as they get older, and you're going to be causing them pain verbally. They need to learn that when you rebuke them, it's love. Spanking is one way to communicate that. It's not the, yeah, so I think it's wiser to do it in, in, in principle. Aaron, you have a thought on that? And then Rock has a thought on that. Question. Uh, yeah, question on. Rock, you, don't forget your thought, okay? Forgive, or asking for forgiveness before you spank. So there are instances where um, I tell Ezra I'm going to spank him. And then we do the whole, like, ask for forgiveness. And I feel like maybe I shouldn't spank anymore. Is that? Why not? I don't because know. you forgave him? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So is that me yeah. not letting my yes be yes by saying, I'm going to spank you. And then we do the whole forgiveness thing. And I say, you know what? I'm not going to spank you. So that means that your spanking is generally tied to rage. <laughs> yeah. And when you're forgiving him, the rage is gone. But spanking is not supposed to be done with rage anyways. So don't. Don't think spanking is to release your angst. That's how you spank out of anger. Yeah. So forgive him and then spank him anyways. Okay. If you don't, you're not, you're not coordinating pain with his sin. And you're almost, almost teaching him that as long as I ask dad for forgiveness, there's not going to be any pain. Well, when you get older as an adult and you think, okay, I could sin and I'll just ask God for forgiveness and there's going to be no pain. Mm-hmm. Well, you're setting him up for foolishness at that point. Good. So you're trying to teach him wisdom. So, yes, I would say a spank. Rock, you're going to say something about what um, Uncle John was talking about? I was just going to say that I don't, you usually, we usually ask for forgiveness after you spank us. Um, I don't know if that's. Last time you did that. Last time with you? Yeah, last time, which was like a few days ago. Yeah. Well, and then the time before that. Okay. Yeah, it depends. I did say when we're on our game. But Rock and the older kids get spanked so few times that it's a little bit different than the younger ones. Okay? Other questions, comments, or thoughts? Victor. Anyone else after Victor? Let's just get it. Chris, anyone else? Last chance. We're going to take communion after this. Chris and Victor, anyone else want to have a comment, question, or thought? Going once. Going twice. All right. Victor and then Chris. I just got curious about the whole penal code thing and spanking, but yeah, spanking is not illegal in California right. at all. Not yet. Uh, where it does, you know, it is it, it not considered uh, child abuse or anything like that because it does not meet, uh, does not exceed a reasonable uh, force, or force or whatnot. and whatnot. Where it does go into where it leaves a mark, it's, you know, unreasonable rage, that sort of stuff. But yeah, spanking, yeah. it's considered legal at this point. It's still yeah. fine. You know. Which is why I'm not fearing that this is publicly recorded and will be posted online. Okay? So I, I do think that the, generally the culture wants people to fear, feel like it's illegal because they're trying to discourage it. But that's worldliness versus wisdom. Chris, last comment, question, or thought? Um, how do you guys... Do you have some like insight or tips on how to deal with family culture and spanking and how... I already know that when we raise our children, uh, it's going to be very different from pretty much all of our family. But how do you, like, talk to your kids about that? Because they see how they're disciplined, and I'm not sure if I'm understanding my own question. So, like, how will our kids, when they compare themselves to their cousins? Yeah, or just how do you, like, how do you... 
talk to that amongst you and Francis and then with your kids about maybe not so much now, but when you guys were first. You about know, the difference between our family and the extended and how family? You d- how you di- if it's different, yeah. How, d- how, y- how do you... Um, I just feel like in my family, it's going to be very different. It's a different culture than very different, what you and, grew up and with. we're going to have to talk about it and plan sure. and even disciple our kids and talk to them about why it's different. Yeah. Okay. Rock, did you want to say something? Uh, yeah. If, if spanking was made illegal, should, we, should you still spank us? I will still spank you, yes. <laughs> but will you be arrested? I don't know. Who knows? But I will still do that in our house, probably, most likely. I'm almost 100% sure I would. Um, back to Chris's thought, comment, or question. Um, so we've talked to our family about it. Actually, Aaron might be able to answer this question. Or Pam, how you guys discipline your, your kids in a culture of a family where it's not the same. And your, your extended family might be like, hey, that's too excessive. Or... Don't be so mean to your kids. Or Ezra, come here. Don't go to dad. Or you want to talk about how you talk to your kids about it and how you interact with your family Sure. in in that cultural difference? Yeah, it was definitely hard in the beginning. But as you make it more consistent in your own home, you're going to stop caring eventually when you're out because um, your kids need to understand no matter where we are, my parents are going to be consistent. So if I'm at my auntie's house and I'm disobeying my my dad, then I'm going to get spanked, regardless. So, yeah. And then talking to the family about it. Go ahead, Pam. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not as outspoken with Aaron's side, but with my side, uh, I I think of it as like a discipling moment for those who don't really believe in spanking. Um, so I just let them know that like the Lord disciplines those He loves, and um, even reading passages with them because if they don't believe my words, they'll believe God's words, hopefully. So I yeah. think, yeah. All right, so yeah, think of it as discipling your family. I mean, what happens in the home, in your marriage, or even in your own life, and then also even in your in your home, your home becomes the hub for discipling other people. Really, I mean, like this whole thing that we're talking about here is just literally from us learning from God, and it's it's, it's spilling over. John. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so as far as addressing behavior. So I, you made it very clear that we want to address sin, you know, and kind of go through the, the whole process of dealing of with grace, sin. forgiveness, gospel. Exactly. Sin um, hurts. In those instances where there's a behavior that you don't like, but it's not a sin, like it's just yes, as a simple. We have a lot of those. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we obviously you're not going to go through the whole process, but as far as is just corrective discipline, just hey, like, stop. <laughs> or, well, no, or it, you're gonna, you it depends on why you don't like it. So here's here's the limits of parents. Parents, especially when you talk about spanking, you need to know about your limits as well. You are not God. You will sin, and you will act like you're God, and you'll want more authority than God has given you. And so, um, if it's not sin, I wouldn't spank. And I would, it's actually more of a test of, wait, why don't I like it? So if I don't like something my kids are doing, you got to ask yourself, why don't I like it? Is it because it's dishonoring God or it's annoying to me and, I'm, the, and I'm, I'm being self-centered right now? I'm the center of the universe and they're violating my self-centeredness. Or, says, uh, I'm yeah, sorry. or is it something that's actually a sin? So you want to clarify that 
because our kids are going to stretch us. They're going to be different than you. They're going to have different interests than you, different gifts and things, and they're going to stretch you in ways that you're not comfortable with, and that's okay. I was speaking more in terms of, like, socializing behavior. Okay. You know, like, just societal norms and kind of... What's, some, say, like, so what's like example, something that they, they do that's not a sin but something you don't like? Um, like, let's say... Uh, let's say they're at a restaurant and they just can't control their bodies or it's like kind of like, you know, screaming, let's say, for example, like that's not necessarily, that's not a sin, but there's a behavior that, you know, like Linda and I, we would correct. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think I'm just answering, I think I'm answering my own question, but it's just, I mean, obviously we're not going to, I mean, we're not at a point where, where we're spanking, you know, right now, but so obviously that's that's off the table, but in terms of correcting the behavior, just stop it. Like, and let's say they continue. There's is it a, a disobedience issue at that point, like a sin issue, because it becomes disobedience. Okay, so yeah, this is good. So, it when you give a command, you need to give a clear command, and if they disobey the command, they're sinning, yeah. as long as you're not telling them to sin. So you need to have a clear definition of obedience. So one of the phrases we use is you need to obey right away all the way with a happy heart. If, you don't, if I have to repeat myself twice, you've already disobeyed. Mm. So it's not like two times and then you disobey. Like, no. Yeah. Right away, all the way with a happy heart. If you don't obey right away, the full thing I'm telling you to do and with a happy heart, you're disobedient. And, and all of those are not, you need to correct for that and you need to discipline for that. So, that. so once it kind of goes over to disobedience, a simple disobedience, then it goes into that realm of like, Discipline, corrective discipline, yeah. And, and, and as parents, here's where we do have the authority. Because of Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. If we give them a command and it's reasonable, it's not sinful, even if it is actually sometimes even unreasonable, they would have to obey it. And if they didn't, then they would be sinning, and we would discipline for that. Now, if it's unreasonable, this is why you, why you need to be reviewed. Review yourself. You have your spouse review and other people because Francis might say, like, hun. You're being unreasonable right now with what you're demanding of the kids. So you need that because we're not God. Like a practical question then. So if there's a point where, I mean, it's a question of consistency. How consistent, like, let's say, you know, a bedtime routine that you give them a command. Like, let's say it's that right away, all the way with a happy heart's not being um, carried out. Right. So... Let's say the, hap- the the offense happens again and again. Yeah. So you as a parent or you or Fra- Francis as a parent, I mean, you're going consistently oh, until? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we light them up. Okay. <laughs> we will light them up and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you got to be consistent because if you're not consistent, something else happens. You're transferring the, the, the responsibility of discernment from you to them. Now the kids have to guess. If you're not consistent in your spanking, they have to guess your consistency. So what's, what's my dad and mom's pattern? Is it three times? Oh, but last time I got spanked after two. Oh, this time I got away with four warnings. And now they are responsible to discern when they've hit the limit with you. That's unfair for the children yeah. to be unclear as a parent. Yeah. So we have a clear line. They cross the line. We must clearly and consistently apply discipline. That when we are inconsistent, we are we're shifting the burden of discernment onto them, and that's unfair as a parent. That's unwise in parenting. All right. Now we're all ready to parent for holiness. Let's take communion. We don't need to 
It's all members here now that our guests. Someone. Okay, so um, can we get Chris and uh, Victor? Can you guys, maybe Aaron and John too, get four guys to pass us out? We're going to remember Christ's death and resurrection <laughs> for us. This makes us a new covenant community. Go ahead and just grab a tray. And give, give one tray to John. Just grab one and give one to Aaron. And you guys got to hold both. I hope you can hold both. Go ahead. Just go. You don't need to wait. We're not super formal and waiting. You don't have to synchronize the passing out. Who can know? Just go ahead and put it back. Thank you. You guys got your bread. Luke 22. Luke 22. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit ahead. Luke 22, beginning in verse 14. Now, this is a longer, I'm reading an extended passage. It's not just the communion part, because I want you to get the story here of the first Lord's Supper. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, the Passover was celebrating what? What happened in the Passover? What did they do? They put the blood of the lamb where? On the doorpost. And the angel of death passed over them. So celebrating the Passover. And that's the Exodus redemption. Before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again. I will not eat it again, the Passover, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Share it. That's Christian life, sharing life together. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. So here we have the first Lord's Supper. Christ talking about the body. Broke it and gave it to them. Said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he gave the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So let's take it together. Lord Jesus, ever since this first Lord's Supper, your followers who have been united to you publicly have remembered you in this way. We thank you that you're the true bread of life, that he who believes in you will never hunger. And he who comes to you will never thirst. 
We thank you for breaking your body for us. We thank you that you spilled your blood and died to give us the new covenant in your blood. We thank you for pouring yourself out for us. We thank you for making us family. We thank you that we get to raise children in the context of a church family and this church family in particular. We pray that you'd help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, to always remember that you set yourself apart by dying on the cross so that we can be set apart by your truth. So set us apart. Help us to remember your death and resurrection, your body broken, your blood spilled, that we might go forth as church family, as Christians, as disciples, as parents, to, to disciple others for your glory. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Lord's Day. Have a good night. Make sure you guys uh, throw your cups away or put them back here. Is it still recording? Hey, hey. Ivan, can you stop the recording?